Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Ephesians chapter 4, we kind of get a pretty good overview uh, from the writer Paul. He, he's kind of outlining a little bit. If you don't know about the book of Ephesians, Ephesians is one of the most powerful chapters you could be in as a believer, you could read, especially as a new believer. The first three chapters of Ephesians, one, two, and three, tell you who you are. They give you identity. They give you identity. Chapters one, two, and three tell you who you are. Because God wants you to know who you are, amen? God doesn't want you going through life, listen to everybody else, what they tell you you are trying to derive your identity from a paycheck or from a rank or uh, from a role or a responsibility or an assignment or how many pieces of paper you have on the wall, how many letters follow your last name, how many zeros are in the bank account. Those aren't the things we're supposed to get our identity from. We're supposed to get our identity from the one who made us. The manufacturer is the one that gives identity. That's God. And so Ephesians chapter one, two, and three uh, is kind of outlining our identity as believers. And then chapters four, five, and six, God starts moving into assignment because identity always precedes assignment. Before you can know what to do, you have to know who you are. If I don't know who I am, then I will base my identity off of what I do. And isn't that the world how, how they lead us today? We're defined by what we do. We're defined by, I mean, that's what we ask people. So what do you do? Like that's literally the question we ask because that's how I'm gonna get to know you. That's how I'm gonna categorize you. That's how I'm gonna figure you out. What do you do? But that's not how God designed us to figure out our identity. The assignment comes after once I know who I am. So Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 gives us identity. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 gives us responsibility, gives us assignment. And in chapter four, starting with verse 11, Ephesians 4 and verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, that is what we call or identify as the fivefold ministry, the five basic major gifts of ministry. And, uh, you know, typically we, we identify those as full time callings. Now, obviously, people can be you know, bivocational, they can, you know, have, I mean, for the, for the longest time, both here and in our previous location in St. Augustine, Florida, before my wife and I moved up here and, and planted Anchor Faith Church here, uh, you know, I worked outside of the church um, for seven out of eight years that I was there. I only was on full-time staff, you know, earning a salary down there as a pastor, a children's pastor for one year. Like, like 13 or 14 months, and then God said, go to Valdosta. So we went to Valdosta, and I worked outside the church here. I had jobs here, but my intention was I knew I had a full-time calling, a full-time gift, and so I was always working towards full-time, uh, uh, for the lack of a better word, employment in the ministry. So when we look at these five full gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, uh, pastor, and teacher, that's typically what he's referring to, that this is your main interest, this is your main investment. And I would encourage anybody called to the ministry, that ought to be your goal. 
is full-time ministry. I, I've, I've spoken to ministers that, I, that knew, recognized they had a full-time call, a full-time assignment on their life. And uh, they recognized that, but they wanted to keep a previous job. They had, uh, you know, earned this amount of pay or this level of retirement or blah, blah, blah. You know, they wanted to hold on. But if you are called to ministry, full-time ministry, it ought to be your goal and your desire to pursue that intentionally and make that your main call, okay? But look at why, why the five-fold gifts are given. This is where the body of Christ comes in. This is where the church comes in. Verse 11 gives us the five-fold ministry, but verse 12 says four. Everyone say four. Four, the equipping of the saints. That's you. For the equipping of the saints. You know, I've seen a lot of dangerous models in churches. I've seen a lot of uh, models that are incompatible with the word of God. I've seen a lot of models in churches where the pastors, the leaders, the full-time staff run themselves ragged doing everything, never empowering or equipping the body, the saints. I'm just gonna tell you that's an incorrect model, that we're actually doing you a disservice by not empowering believers, not equipping the saints. And what does it say equipping the saints to do? Equipping the saints for the work, everyone say work, the work of ministry, the four-letter word in the church, work. Oh, you mean it's gonna take work. It takes work. It takes work. You can ask any of our Nautilus team members, our phenomenal, our phenomenal uh, family team members back there that are, are changing diapers and feeding goldfish and cleaning up crumbs and breaking up fights and uh, trying not to get hung upside down from the rafters. You could go back there and ask them. They'll tell you, it's work. You can ask our worship team. It's work. We do rehearsals every Thursday night in this building for you know at least two hours. We're, we're in here rehearsing and going through these things. It's, it's work to do the work of ministry. Evangelism takes work. Reaching our city and our community for the kingdom of God, that takes work. It takes work. And he's telling us here that the fivefold gifts that we a lot of times put the weight, and I'm not trying to push off anything here today. I'm gonna say, I'm not trying to get a, a vacation to Hawaii. I'm not asking you for a bump in pay. I, I'm not telling you that I need, you know, 90 days off just hanging out. I don't need all that. But my goal, my role, my work is to empower you. I've seen a lot of pastors that they do it for job security. Well, if I train them how to do it, they won't need me. I can tell you right now, from the beginning of time until we all go home to be with Jesus, and Jesus returns and brings his kingdom back to this earth, you're going to need a pastor. You're going to need a shepherd. That's never going to go away. I need a shepherd. I need a pastor. I need someone, an overseer in my life, shepherding me, uh, challenging me, coaching me, correcting me, that, 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 that he's not in my life to... to uh, uh, be a stronghold or a level of accountability that's restricting, but he's there to empower me to be all that God's called me to be. You'll always need a pastor. 
Whether you submit to one or not, that's on you. But you'll always have need of pastoral care, shepherding in your life for every believer. Last week, we saw that there are three basic resources that every believer needs. Last week, we saw from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve until today, it's never changed and it never will. Number one, we have to have God's word. We cannot live. Uh, uh, Jesus said that his word is our bread of life. It's literally how we eat. If I eat naturally, I ought to be eating spiritually from the word of God. It's life to me. His word is. Secondly, we need his Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God operating, speaking to us, guiding us, leading us. Not there for a touchy-feely, not there for power and, and just presence. He's there to lead you and to guide you. It's that still small witness, still small voice on the inside that says, no, nah, we don't need to go there. No, nah, we don't need to respond that way. No, nah, we don't need to do that. Oh, hey, give this to them. Hey, go do this. Go help this person. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go to be with the Father so that he can send his spirit to come live in you, be with you, come upon you, empower you for kingdom work. So I need the word of God. I need the spirit of God. And then lastly, we saw that we need the church. We need the church, the church of the living God, his body, his body. We saw that Jesus, he's literally the head and we are the body. We are the executing members of the body of Christ. God's will does not get done in the earth without his church. And there's plenty of scripture. We went through it last week. Plenty of scripture to back that up. We, we, we have this concept and this idea. We've bought into this lie that God is just up in heaven doing whatever he wants. And we're just here hanging out until he comes back. But our plan and our purpose is much greater and much bigger than that. We are literally the members of the body. We are the hands. We are the feet. We are the voices. We are the ones carrying the gospel. We are the ones ministering to the needs of a lost and dying world. We are the ones that are going to stand up and be a pillar in support of truth when everybody else is trying to compromise what truth is and redefine what truth is. The church stands up for truth. And many of the things today that the church has become silent on are the very things we ought to be the most vocal about. Don't get me started. So we are the church of the living God. We are the body of Christ. And so this says here that the fivefold ministers, those pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists, prophets, they are given to you, the body of Christ, for the equipping of the saints, the empowering, the developing, the strengthening of the body of Christ. Let me help you a little bit. Equipping, uh, uh, we, have, we, have, we, we tend to redefine this word equipping. And we have substituted the word equipping with the word educating. Educating. It does not say that the fivefold ministers are given for the educating of the body of Christ. Let me put it to you this way. Education is simply an element of equipping. But you are not equipped just because you know. You're not equipped just because you know. My son Camden, he's played 
baseball now, I've coached him now for, for four years, and now we're going on into our fifth season uh, with, with, with fall ball. We just started last couple weeks, and, um, you know, he, he played all-stars uh, this, this summer, uh, and, and so now uh, we're kind of in this new realm. He's always been a learner. He's always wanted to learn and to develop, but, but man, when you get to the all-stars, that, that's, a, that's another league. That's another level. And so, you know, uh, I've been getting a lot in, in my working with him and getting him ready for fall ball now. And uh, uh, I've been getting a lot of, yeah, I know, Dad. Yeah, I know. I'm not even coaching his team this year. I said, I'm not even coaching you. You need to, you need to hear from somebody else. My, my words are going in one ear. I, I know, Dad. I, I know. Okay, you tell that to Coach Ben. You tell him I know and see where he puts your tail. You're going to be really good at the bench. You're going to be the all-stars for the bench. Been getting a lot of that. Been getting a lot of uh, I know. Okay, well, good. So let's go out to the field. Let's hit a few grounders. Let's see how many we have to turn around and chase because you're not, your glove's not down, your butt's not down, uh, your, your glove's not out in front, you're waiting for it to get up on, you're not staying with the hop, you're backing your leg out. I mean, let, let's see, because you know, but you don't do. I see, all of y'all should be having sympathy and pity for me right now, because I have to deal with that at home, and then I have to come here and deal with that. Okay, all right. I know, pastor, I know, I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't, I know, pastor, okay. Oh, geez. I'm going to find another coach to get up in here. <laughs> Amen. So knowing is not equipping. Knowing is educating. And I'm not an educator. I'm not here just to fill your brain with knowledge. I'm here to fill your heart with a response and a love for God that says everything in that word, I want to apply, I want to live, I want to see fruit of it in my life, I want to be the best that God has called me to be, I want to see his potential. So if we challenge, if we coach, if we correct, if we encourage, if we strengthen, if we edify, if we build up, it's only for your potential. It's only for your benefit. That's the equipping of the saints not the educating of the saints, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. He goes on to say, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Edify means to strengthen, it means to build up. God wants his church built up, not torn down. And I've, I've been in church and around church for a long time. Many of you know my background. I, I grew up in church. I mean, my parents weren't in ministry, but they might as well have been. We were there just as much as the pastors were, it felt like. That's just all I've ever known growing up. And uh, when you're around church that long, can, can, can I tell you, you see the right and you see the wrong. You see the good and you see the bad and you see the ugly. You see all kinds of stuff. And one thing I help people with uh, you know, is, is look, there is no perfect church. If you find it, please let me know. We'll shut this one down. We'll go, we'll go over there with you. <laughs> There's no perfect church. There's no flawless church. But I do know this. When I walk out, I want to be better than when I came in. When I go back out those doors, I want to be empowered to do the kingdom work 
that God has assigned to me through whatever avenue that is, military, teacher, hospital, medical, uh, government, whatever it is that God has assigned you to do, that is just your sphere of influence. Can I help you today? That's not your means of getting a paycheck. That's not just your job. That's not my level of employment. That is your sphere of influence that God has given you to exhibit and develop and demonstrate the kingdom of God to your world. And so we come to these churches, these buildings and these events, these structures. The church comes together to be built up, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be edified so that when I leave, I'm better than I came in so I can do the work that God has called me to do. Are we breaking this down? Is this this making sense to you? Now, he kind of, he gives us, the role of the fivefold ministers, and he tells us why we exist, that we're equipping, building up the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying, the strengthening of the body of Christ. But now in verse 13, he gives us a timeline. Hey, Paul, how long are we supposed to be doing this? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Well, I don't know about you, but that seems a long way off. Seems like there's more division of the faith than there is unity of the faith. So what is that, what's that say? We've got, a, we've got work to do. We've got, we've got a goal to accomplish and we've got, we've got a job to do. We wanna see the unity of the faith. It says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that doesn't mean perfect like you'll never blow it or miss it. That's what we ought to be working towards and trying to attain, but perfect means mature. Perfect means to a mature man. That's literally what that Greek word means. Well, what's maturity? Maturity is simply defined as whenever you are able to do it without direct oversight. That's maturity. When Camden was two, he was not able to cross a road without direct oversight. He was not mature enough to cross a road. Now he can cross a road as a more mature young person, although still very young and immature, there's things that now he's grown to be able to do and be able to develop to. Without having direct oversight, now he can, wait a minute, when I get to the edge of this road, watch both ways, cars are coming, don't just bolt out into the middle. That's maturity. Maturity is when you can do it without having to literally have someone over your shoulder. Hey, are we, are we good? Are we, are we doing okay? It's what it means to be a perfect man, to be a mature man. Uh, It says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We saw last week, and we mentioned it already, that we are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. But you know as well as I do, a body is incomplete with just a head. In fact, if you separate the head from the body, you've taken away the life. You've taken away the source. You've taken away where the thinking takes place, where the ideas take place, where the agendas take. Like everything our body does, it executes what the head wants to do. And so it's the same way with the church. And so he's saying that the body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. You and I, complete Jesus. 
That's how important you are in this planet, in this earth. That's how important you are to the kingdom of God. You see, our responsibility is way deeper than we thought it was when we first came in. We thought we were just trying to pray a prayer. We're trying to get fire insurance, right? Try to get out a hell free card. We're, 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 we're looking for ways to, yeah, absolutely. I want to get rid of my past. I want to get rid of my sins. I, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. Uh, heaven sounds a far uh, better than hell does. Let's, let's, let's do the heaven thing. What's the ticket? Oh, pray a prayer, right? And so most of us, we accept Jesus as our savior, but we don't really make him Lord because savior is what Jesus did, but Lord is who he is. Hello, there's a difference. There's a difference. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you. He came to restore you. There's a difference. He didn't just come to free you from the penalty of sin going to hell when you die. He came to free you from the power of sin living like hell on this earth. Hello. That's what Jesus came to do. That was his assignment. And so we have to recognize that we've got a great responsibility in this earth. It says here uh, that we are supposed to be the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. And this is where we get into where I want to go today, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. May grow up, everyone say grow up. May grow up in all things into him. You know, it's one thing to just tell someone to grow up. But it's another to say grow up and then give them a picture of what that should look like. And so he doesn't just say that we ought to grow up, period. He says that we ought to grow up into him who is the head, Christ, from the whom the whole body, you and I, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I mean, my Bible says what every joint, not some joints. Okay, so let's just get a picture of that. What if only some of your joints cooperated? What if only some of your joints decided to operate? Come on now, in your physical body, right here. I mean, I I don't really know that much about the body. I can, you know, name a few body parts here and there, but I know that there are things, I may not even know what it's called, but I know what it ain't working. (laughs) Anybody with me? About 10 years ago, I guess it's been about 10 years ago now, I was playing flag football, and um, actually... Pastor Caleb's brother, Josh, uh, we were playing flag football, and he had the bright idea to wear shorts with pockets. Well, the flag sits right by where the pocket is. So I'm going for the flag, but my finger decides to go inside his pocket, and he's running, I yank, he's going one way, I'm going the other way, snap, my ring finger just on my left hand was on top of my middle finger. So I'm like, 
I don't know a whole lot about this. I mean, Adam would know a lot about it. I don't know a whole lot about this, but I know it's not supposed to be there. It's not supposed to feel like that. Uh, there's a problem. And we had to get it fixed. Hello? Why? Because there are roles and responsibilities that all of our body parts are supposed to fulfill. And when they don't fulfill that role, it compromises and prohibits the body from functioning the way it ought to. It's the same in the body of Christ. It's not supposed to do that. It's not supposed to be in that place. It's not supposed to work that way. It's not supposed to be at odds. Everything in my body is supposed to be working towards one common goal. Everything in my body right now is supposed to help me accomplish one common goal. And if any part of my body has a different idea, anybody's leg ever fallen asleep when the rest of your body is awake? We aren't sleeping right now. This is not, we are not laying in a bed, but yet I can't walk on it, right? I can't function properly unless everything is working towards one common goal. Ought to be the same way in the body of Christ. Ought to be the same in the church. Everyone working towards one common goal, everyone putting forth effort, everyone putting forth, putting their hand to something, everyone contributing towards the mission of the body of Christ. He says that we should all be working together. Every joint, every joint supplies. I mean, that's just a good question to ask ourselves. What is my supply? What do I bring to the table? What can I do? What can I uh, do to help contribute, help accomplish the goal? And it may not be your preference. It may not be your idea. It may not, I'll be honest, you know, in ministry, there's probably maybe about 10% of the stuff that I like to do. If I could just be honest with you, about 10%. This is one of them, thankfully. (laughs) Preaching and teaching. But there's all kinds of stuff I've got to do throughout the week. I'm like, ugh, do I got to do that? But you do it, and you do it with the right heart and with the right attitude. Nobody ever says, no one ever says, I've been called to the ministry of cleaning restrooms been called to the ministry of stacking chairs. I've been called to the ministry of this or that. I mean, when we started our church in St. Augustine, Florida back in 2004, we've existed now, been in existence for over 15 years. Uh, We started out in the middle school for three years. And guess what? They didn't just let us move in and do church and leave our stuff there. We had to set it up at 8 a.m. every Sunday morning We had to tear it down after service. No going to lunch with family. No going to lunch with our friends. No going out. I mean, uh, see you in a couple hours. Can you hold the table for me? That ain't happening. You know, people after church are hungry. No. We do midweek services, do the same thing on Wednesday nights. Get off work, haul tail over there. We had a smaller window. Uh, even on Wednesdays, and sometimes we had to wait on them to get out of school or do their different functions before we could even get in and do what we needed to do. Set up and tear down. For three years, 36 months, we did that. Man, we were rejoicing when we got our own facility turnkey, could just walk through the door, and everything was there set up. I mean, it almost felt weird. 
It's like, I'm supposed to be doing something right now. I was supposed to be here three hours ago. Nobody ever says I'm called to the set up and tear down ministry, but yet it's needed to help accomplish the goal because it was about people's lives. Putting those chairs out, that meant that there was gonna be a life in those chairs. Putting out the the kids' toys and the mats and the, the crayons and the markers meant that there was gonna be a life impacted that we would pray over the crayons as we're putting them out because there's gonna be a child who's gonna put that crayon in his hand that may not know Jesus. And guess what? His parents may not know Jesus. His brothers and sisters may not know Jesus. And those were the ones that were lucky enough to actually have a family that brought them to church. Some just had caretakers. Some had some godly grandmothers and grandfathers that overrode their own children to get their grandkids to church that the parents wouldn't even come to church. All kinds of scenarios. So not just putting out crayons, we're investing and pouring into a life. We had one common goal. It was never about the task. What can I supply? What can I bring to the table? What can I do? How can my joint supply something to the goal of seeing people meet Jesus? One common goal. It says every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part, everyone say every part, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Notice here we wrap up in verse 16. He easily identifies the goal is growth. Say that with me. Say the goal is growth. Anything that's not growing, guys, is dying. Now, there's ways to measure growth. You know, I go to all kinds of conferences, seminars, leadership things, all these different things that, you know, help us in this day and age be able to measure as pastors and leaders and, and church leaders what does growth look like. You know, and there's all kinds of ways to measure that. There's, there's numerical growth. There's spiritual growth. Uh, there's, there's growth in uh, those that are coming out of darkness into light that they didn't know Jesus before they came. Uh, uh, there, there's all kinds of ways to measure growth. But the ultimate goal that we're looking for in the body of Christ is growth. God is interested in growth. God is interested in something developing something maturing, something progressing, something advancing. The Bible tells us that his kingdom will always be advancing. Isaiah chapter nine tells us that to his kingdom, there will be no end. There's always work to do. There's always growth. There's always advancement. Look at Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six. And as a church that is growing, and I can tell you today, our church has, has maintained for eight years, some, sometimes very steady and almost, uh, uh, you know, it's the word I'm looking for, almost not noticeable, but at other times, very progressively, we have advanced, we have grown. I mean, I can tell you today that our church uh, in, in eight years has always been up and to the right. I'm talking in finances. I'm talking in numbers. 
uh, increase. That may not always be. There may be levels of plateau. There may, may be a year where we're down versus another year. Those things don't move me. I gotta keep doing what God's called me to do. If you base growth on, on, on those kind of things, then Jesus had a horrible ministry. He ran everybody off. He went to the cross by himself where he once had multitudes, upwards of 20, 25,000 people on the side of a mountain listening to him speak. He went to the cross by himself. He even ran off the ones that were closest to him. Peter, one of the three, Peter, James, and John, denied even knowing him when he needed him the most. When Jesus needed a friend, when he needed a confidant, when he needed someone to come to his aid, Peter said, I don't know the guy. Stop bothering me. Cuss the guy out over it. Go read it in your Bible. Very adamant. I do not know that man. Do not ask me again. Are you kidding? We just spent our closest years together for the last three and a half years. I told you all along this was a part of the mission. Now you're denying that Jesus went to the cross by himself. But God is interested in a church that's growing, advancing, developing. And the thing that I've determined is that there are a lot of things that we enjoy the thought of, we enjoy the concept of, but then the reality, the actual practice of it, the actual living it out is a lot of times different than the concept. Marriage. The concept of marriage is a lot different than the reality of marriage. Look straight ahead. Don't even, don't even look to the left. Don't look to the right. Straight ahead. Right here. Parenting. Concept of parenting. Am I right, LaDon? Concept, yep. He, he said, yep. And Rebecca ain't in here to defend herself either. You can say whatever you want. LaDon just welcomed two brand new twin girls into this world. Margaret and Teresa, the names? No. Sophie and Selah. I just like messing with them. They had a hard time picking those names out. So I said, if you don't watch, I won't pick them for you. It's going to be Vicky and something else silly. Get the names. And if your name's Vicky or Margaret or Teresa, I am not making fun of your name right now. Okay, let's cover that. Margaret's walking out right now. She's, forget this church. I ain't going to the tent. I ain't signing no cards. Ain't nothing. The concept's a lot different than in reality. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. That's awesome. Multiplying, I mean, not even adding. We skip right over the addition of disciples and we have moved to multiplication, exponential growth that the church is experiencing. In Acts chapter one, Jesus ascends to heaven. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes down to man, empowers them. Acts chapter three, they go out and they start demonstrating, doing the same stuff Jesus was doing. Uh, they got in trouble. Uh, the, the, the Jews and the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and even the Roman leaders were like, oh, great. We thought we got rid of one guy. Now we've got a whole multitude of them all doing the same stuff he was doing. They're all just as crazy as he was. And now we have 
disciples, not just converts, disciples multiplying, it says. But look at the very next phrase. There arose a complaint. So as the numbers in the church, discipleship was increasing, so was complaining. So was strife. So was division. You ever heard of growing pains? Yeah. Growth brings challenge. You thought you wanted to grow. You thought you wanted to increase. You thought you wanted to advance until you grew, until you increased, until you advanced. You thought in concept it sounded like a great idea until you realized how much work it would take. A marriage takes work. I mean, nobody, no man gets, gets married or looks forward to their wedding day and says, man, I cannot wait to have my wife nag me about the clothes that I leave on the floor. I, I need that in my life so bad. That is what I need. I, I need someone to remind me 15 times a day. I need a personal aid as I'm driving my vehicle. I, need, I don't know how I got around without you. I don't know how I ever knew to hit the brake I don't know how, how I knew how fast I was going because I didn't have you telling me you're 10 over right now. Really? They have these things called speedometers and it's right here. It's got numbers. It's got a little needle that points right to where I'm at. I know right where I'm going. I'm aware I'm going 10 over. There's a car. There's a car. There's a car. Are you serious? I have stopped my car dead in the middle of the road and said, what am I supposed to do? Do I turn? Do I keep going straight? What color is that light? I can't tell right now. And my wife isn't in here to defend herself, but even if she was, I'd be saying the same thing because that is one of our issues. We're real people too. I'll come down to the altar myself and repent, and she'll repent too. I tell her, I, I don't know how I got around without you in this car. I don't know how I do it day in and day out, how I don't just get into a wreck moment after moment after moment. Thank you. That was not going through my brain as I was getting prepared to get married. Going through marriage counseling, they never told me that one. They didn't warn me that you now are signing on to have a personal aid as you drive. <laughs> nope, the reality is a lot different than the concept. And so they're finding out disciples are growing, but there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So now we've got people groups. We've got these Greek Jews that are coming in because Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Greeks. He came for those that were without as well. Jesus came for everybody, for God so loved the world, not just a certain people group, not just a certain denomination, not just a certain preference, not just the people you hang around. He loved the world. But now we've got these, the, the, this unifying, this marriage even of, of people groups coming together and, and, and now there's a strife beginning to take place. It says because their, their widows were neglected 
in the daily distribution. The New Living uh, Translation, I really like how it reads. It reads this way. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Rumblings. I mean, we're not at a full-on outrage at this moment. We're not at a full attack mode, uh, separation. I can't do this anymore. But there's discontentment. There's rumbling showing. There, there, there's, there's growing pains beginning to reveal themselves. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, if a pastor got up today and said that, that place would probably not make it. But yet that's exactly what the five-fold ministers, five-fold leaders were saying. Hey, we have a job to do. We have an assignment, what God has called us to do. I remember my pastor, Pastor Earl, would say it this way. When you first start a church as a full-time, even as a full-time minister, you do 80% of the work and the body does 20% of the work. But as you grow and as you increase and as you further along in ministry, those percentages ought to start to flip-flop. Well, there may be a day where it's half and half. I mean, all the remodel and all the construction that took place in this building last year, I was here every night, save maybe three or four, maybe five at the most. And I didn't even know what I was doing. David knew what he was doing. Josh knew what he was doing. Josh Light knew what he was doing. All these guys that contributed and put their hand to something that actually knew it. I'm just, hey, can I get you a screw, a hammer? They have to tell me three different times what they're asking for because I go back to their bag and I'm like, are you, what, what is that? What, what does it look like? Is it flat? Is it round? Is it star bit? I, you know, just, I needed three quarters. Numbers? I, what, what is going on here? Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm there. I'm there contributing to the effort. I'm, con- there, I'm there getting the job done. And I never once complained and said, I'm the pastor around here. I'm supposed to be preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching. I'm supposed to be counseling people. I'm supposed to be praying with people. And I also never missed moments to do what God's called me to do and to help God have conversations. I mean, you could ask David, there were nights that we were here after midnight, not so much because the job took that long, but because him and I would get to talking and we just start pouring into each other because iron sharpens iron turned it into an opportunity to build one another up. And so we recognize here that the apostles, they're recognizing we need to be spending our time teaching the word of God. And so brothers, select seven men. Now look at the responsibilities. Again, they're distributing food. They're distributing food. And if I can, if I can, make this relevant and give you some context. The Pharisees and the Romans killed Jesus, crucified him, didn't believe that he actually rose from the dead like his followers proclaimed. And so they said, well, we've got an answer for that. 
everyone that says that they believe in Jesus or demonstrates what Jesus looks like will kill you too. And so now when you start killing off sons and husbands and brothers, you end up with a lot of widows. That's literally what's happened here is the increase of the widow ministry is growing as a church because of the challenge and the conflict that they endured for following Christ. The need that arose was because they were simply doing what God told them to do. Go ye into all the world. Those were his last words to his disciples, preaching, proclaiming the good news, laying hands on the sick, they'll recover. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You drink deadly poison, it won't hurt you. You take up a serpent. You have authority. You have my power. You have my, my uh, uh, delegated authority to go and do just as I've done, you go do in this world. So they're going and doing that. And as a result, they're being killed. They're being murdered. They're, they are hitting conflict dead on. You know, throughout history, the church has thrived in the midst of conflict. The church has actually grown as a result of challenge. And on the flip side of that, the church hasn't done so well where there's comfort, allowance, liberty, I mean, you know, we, we had guest minister here not too long ago, about a month ago, a little over a month ago now, for, uh, you know, that does missionary work in China. And it's growing. The underground church, as they call it, because they, they can't do what we're doing today. They can't even have worship music because it'll make noise and people will know what's happening inside of that building. They just have to sing with their voices. They don't have what we have today, but yet they're growing in the midst of conflict, in the midst of challenge. The church has always thrived in the midst of conflict, in the midst of challenge. And I'm not saying that, you know, we need to start becoming a persecuted church. I'm not saying that we need things taken away from us so we can, uh, you know, be thankful for what we have. I'm just saying that we can be just as intentional as they are without the liberties we have, with the liberties we have. We can be intentional. We can value who we are and what the church is assigned to do. And I don't need pressure from the outside to do that. But when that pressure comes, the church has shown to be able to respond back and you'll never be able to eradicate the church from this earth. Anybody that's ever, I mean, there, there was individuals that tried to burn all these things up. Now we have more of them on this planet than ever before. Now you've got them on phones and they can talk to you. You can get the Bible read to you. You don't even have to open this thing up anymore. Get the verse of the day pop up on your phone before you even wake up. I mean, we, the, the privileges, the benefits that we have, somebody else lost their life or fought for what we have today. Even in the church. But in this moment of pressure, in this moment of conquest, in this moment of conflict, where literal death is taking place, the church is multiplying, the church is growing. But now we have these widows that need to be attended to. 
these widows that need to be helped because they lost their husbands. They lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. Now look at this. They're serving food. They are distributing food. Select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and full of wisdom. I mean, those are three high-level characteristics, qualities that we're looking for in individuals to be able to serve food. Now, wherever you go today, I just dare you to ask your waitress or your waiter, uh, are you a good character, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom? Because if not, I, 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 need to, I need the server that is, please. No. Might not be the world standards, but in the church, God has different standards. Ultimately, what I'm trying to show you is it doesn't matter the level of ministry, the size of ministry, the size or level of responsibility that God has asked you to steward over. He is looking for people with high level of character, high level qualities, high characteristics. God isn't just saying, I'll just take any measly old person. Now God wants all of us serving and all of us contributing, but when we do that, we should take on to ourselves and say, man, this is a position of influence. This is a level of leadership. This is what we tell every team member in this church, regardless of, of where you're serving or what your role is whether you're holding a door open, up here playing an instrument, holding a microphone in a classroom, uh, behind the sound booth there. There's no, well, it's okay for you to do that, but for you, we really need you. It's all leadership. You're influencing somebody through the role that God has called you to. Even in the distributing of food, he said, we need you to be full of character, full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the spirit of God. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Which by the way, uh, everyone liked this idea. <laughs> That's rare. But it says everyone in agreement, in unity, liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And it gives several other individuals. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. Guys, we are the limiter to what God wants to do in the earth today. And I don't say that arrogantly. I don't say that pridefully. I say that as you and I are the means to how God wants to accomplish his will and his plan in the earth today. And there's so many ways that we can contribute. We've taught this before, that there's contributors and there's consumers. There's spectators and there's participators. And God is calling his people to contribute 
to the cause. Contribute to the goal. Be a joint that supplies. Be someone that comes through and doesn't say, what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? But ask the question, how can I pour into it? What do I bring to the table? How can I be a blessing to those around me? Where can I put my hand to work? What, what can I do? Where am I needed? What, what, I, I, I may not know uh, how to do this, how to do that, but I can help out in some avenue. There are no immobile people in the body of Christ. There are no inactive members. Worship team, if you'd come. There are no inactive members in the body of Christ. Today's message is simple. I'm not coming to you out of need. We need you. We do need you. But God's word is very clear. If he doesn't do it through one person, he'll find someone else. But God is saying, this is how my body, this is how my church ought to function. This is how he designed it. Where every part has a part to play. Every member brings something to the table. There's no inactive. We're we're, we're looking around saying, there's something for me to do. What can I do? Here at the end of this month, for those of you that uh, have been coming, maybe today's even your first time. At the end of this month on September uh, 28th, We'll have our next vision partnership. Vision partnership is just simply an opportunity that my wife and I get to sit down with you, tell you about who we are, why we're here, what God has called us to do, and how you can get involved. Make that clear. Because it requires partnership. It requires a working together. It requires many members performing multiple functions but accomplishing one goal. To see people anchored to Christ to live life by faith. To see people delivered and set free from darkness, sickness. To see people free in their lives. He called us to Valdosta. He called us to this community. He called us to this people. He's assigned us. And we want to steward that well. And this is God's heart. This is not just an Anchor Faith Church thing. This is a global church thing. Capital C, big C. This is what God wants to do. Many members, many people accomplishing one goal. This is how we grow. This is how we increase. This is how we advance. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.